Coming live from Trinidad is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Troy Hadid, international yoga teacher, public speaker, author, social entrepreneur, and he's committed to authentic and vulnerable introspection surrounding all aspects of the human experience. Welcome to the show, Troy. Thank you, Idri. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Same here, same here, Troy. And it's yeah. nice to be, you know, uh, so well connected in spite of being so far and connected towards the way you think, connected towards through yoga and also yeah. connected through the way we all seek the Almighty, the Creator. And today we'll be talking about how to find God in 2023. That's one way of looking yeah. at things. So, so try, let's get into this discussion, but just try understanding, you know, how do you see God? And how do you see yoga? How do you connect so many things which, which we can see and so many yeah. things which we cannot? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to put things in perspective, AJ, I grew up in a Christian home, a Catholic home, and I still, um, I still connect very deeply to Christ, through, to spirit through Christ. And to me, he is one of the most profound, profound yogis that has ever walked the planet. And of course, there are a lot of um, documents and scriptures that talk of him coming to India as well. Um, during the last days of his life. But to answer your question, you know, yoga now has taken on such, so many different views in the world and has shown up in so many different ways. But what I often um, want to remind people is for me, and in my opinion, at the core of yogic principle and teaching, if there was a goal of yoga, that goal is union with God. That, that goal is the realization that God is within us and all around us. And uh, I mean, you, you are from India, and so you are familiar with this, this word that has taken off yoga culture called namaste. Now, everybody is using this word namaste, namaste, namaste. And to me, it's one of the most powerful words ever, whether it's namaste or namaskar, maybe there's a difference that you can shed light on. But that greeting, to acknowledge that God and the light within me acknowledges God within you, that I can see God in you. And we have so many people using this word without connecting to that depth of understanding, you know? So for me, AJ, I like to give people the opportunity to redefine what God means to them. Because I feel for so many generations, people have been told who God is, what God was, what God looks like, what God wants from them. And when you do that, someone may be told of God. But being told of God is not the same thing as getting to know God. And getting to know God comes from real personal experience with the divine, right? That introspection. And to me, that is 
I say to people all the time, yoga, yoga and meditation will not change your life. But it gives you a relationship to your mind and a relationship to your breath. And that will change your life. And, um, you know, one of the biggest discoveries for me was discovering that the word spirit, like Holy Spirit, comes from the Latin word spiritus, which means to breathe. In yoga, we call it prana in so many different ways. But to imagine, AJ, that every breath I take is in communion with God, that there is a divine agency moving through me. And when I realized that, the practice of yoga moved way beyond asana. You know, it's not asana. Asana is part of it. But it is about a relationship to breath as we practice asana. And when that happens, our asana practice becomes prayer. And when that happens, our lives become prayer. And that's when the embodiment of yoga actually begins. To me. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So, uh, you know, once, what is our relationship with God? Because you talk about redefining our relationship with God. So first, first to understand from you, what is our relationship with God? And why do we say that we must, we look at, we should look at redefining our relationship with God? Is there a problem with our relationship, existing relationship? Okay, so great question, Adri, great question. Now, in India, this may be a little bit different. But what I've seen, because, you know, I've been to India several times, and for me, Indian culture and India, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. No, I've never encountered someone from India or of Indian culture and heritage that has a problem with, with God. But in the West, and I'm sure in other parts of the world as well, what I've found is that there are many people who have moved away from God because of the historical weight that this word carries. I mean, if we, if we really look at history and acknowledge it, even in the world today, there are a lot of misalignments and oppression and suffering that has be done in the name of God. So when I, when I meet someone who doesn't really have a relationship to God or even someone who doesn't believe in God or says they don't believe in God, I understand that. I understand why someone might not want to believe in God or be nurturing their own personal relationship to God. But it's important to me, like God is the foundation, AJ. Whether you want to call it spirit or whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to give it, whether you call it prana that unites us or joins us, that is the collective force that unites me and you. With all our listeners, no matter where we are in the world, that is the one thing that makes us the same. You know, and... Uh, I read once, there's this teacher called Osho, who I'm sure you've heard of. And I remember in one, one of his books, he says that 
he pretty much says that yoga is not a joining. You cannot join what was never separate. Right. Right? And if you believe, it's more like a realization of our connectivity, of our union. And once you acknowledge some form of divine agency that breathes me and breathes you and holds us all together, then you can begin to glimpse that union. But if you don't believe in any God or any divine agency, then we remain separate. And as long as we remain separate, and I believe that I am my body and my name is Troy, then on an unconscious level, I am driven by self-preservation. And that means that my ability to love others is limited because I see them as separate from myself. And I've, I've believed the narrative that if my body ceases to exist, then I cease to exist. But to me, that foundation of believing in some divine agency, whatever you want to call it, is the foundation of realizing that we are not as separate as we've been led to believe. So I think it is really important for people to take a moment to answer your question, take a moment to look at what they believe about God, about this divine agency, and have the courage to look at the aspects of that that need to be redefined. Because historically, in a lot of ways, for a lot of people, God has been painted as, as exclusive, meaning that whether it be by religion or belief system, you have all these groups of people um, that, that believe in their aspect of God or their rendition of God. And I think it's important for us to begin to redefine that. And in redefining that, not only do we allow space for every individual to cultivate a personal relationship to the divine, but we create a space in which me and you are actually one and we're not separate. Does that land for you? Does that make sense? Yes, yes, a lot yes. of sense. And and I'm just I'm lost in, you know, trying to grasp as much as possible out of the you, you know, gold nuggets that you have been, you know, giving to us, uh, including me to our audience. Uh, yeah. Now, try to understand, you know, uh, about God. People have been seeking God, trying to find him since time immemorial, since we humans came into existence. Yeah. And most of the people, they have found it just by looking it, looking or finding it within. Yeah. not externally yeah but in today's time we try to look at god find god in things that perhaps are uh, how to say for individual they may find god in a position of power in a some in a in some sort of an achievement in sort of achievement of an ambition political office some big you know uh, uh, achievement in some business or whatever it is. Yeah. Many yeah. people have that sort of a thinking, okay, God has helped me achieve this. This is what I deserve. God planned me for, uh, planned for all these things. Yeah. But 
is it the right way to look at god because a lot of people as we said initially that god is within each of us yeah and even if you look at it today's time in spite of all our achievement we still have that identity crisis yeah we don't know who we are yeah we may be we may be a person who knows uh, who who neighbors know whom i say my neighborhood knows but if online if google doesn't know then i start mm-hmm. suspecting that i don't have any identity and i become despondent so yeah. why is it that in spite of having god within us and we are so connected to each other we still have that loneliness and that identity crisis and we start looking at ourselves and trying to find ourselves and yeah. in a way when we find our try to find ourselves actually we are trying to find our connection with the creator yeah how do yeah. you look at this particular crisis in the way it is yeah so you know i to me the the second you acknowledge it that you know from imagine this from the day we are born i am told i am troy and this is my body and you are told you are aj and that is your body so when that happens anything that happens to me that i perceive as good i think it's a good thing anything that's that's pleasing to me i think it's good and anything that doesn't feel right to me or causes me pain and suffering i interpret as bad but that's only because i have been told a narrative that this is who i am and we've been given an idea that life should only be flowers and rainbows that life should only be pleasant and i have come to believe and realize i know i know that god is even in the darkest aspects of our society and in the darkest aspects of our world and i know for a lot of people this is hard to accept and i come from in a lot of ways from a background and a place of privilege so who am i to say this when the people in will experiencing suffering beyond levels i could ever imagine So here's how I view this human experience. I believe it's it's like a curriculum. You know like you go to school and you move through a curriculum. The human experience is like spiritual school. And we have all God has embodied human form through us so that our souls or whatever can can begin to learn what it means to love. that the mere realization of being able to see and move beyond my individual identity in itself brings transformation on a spiritual level that is something clearly that god wants to experience so it's important that we realize that god is not flowers and rainbows god has put us here to walk a curriculum that sometimes causes pain and suffering and it's important also age to acknowledge pain and suffering is real we are in a human body and we experience that for a reason i'm not trying to like take away or negate any any aspect of pain and suffering it's real we have emotions we have feelings 
but if you can conceive beyond the individual identity, you then begin to acknowledge that these these experiences and these feelings don't define us. It's all part of our homework. It's all part of our curriculum. And what I also like to, to present is that everything around me, every relationship I have is part of my curriculum. But I am also part of your curriculum, AJ. So to draw an example, if I were to cause you pain and suffering in some way, if I were to hurt you, I am part of your curriculum in that I am giving you an opportunity to learn forgiveness. While I may be learning to deal with guilt and shame and take accountability, you also have all these opportunities to learn compassion empathy, forgiveness. So we are one another's curriculum. And God is everywhere. God is all around us. God is in everything. And the last thing I would say on this is that I do believe breath is spirit. And there is a divine consciousness in breath. It's the one thing, if you think about it, it's the one thing that connects every living being on the planet. At one point in your life, AJ, the breath that was in me is probably within you. You see molecules of air. And it's one thing that connects us to everything else around us. I mean, to me, it makes sense. It's the one thing that goes, connects us beyond DNA, beyond blood, beyond heritage, beyond opinions, beyond anything, right? So if breath is an aspect of spirit, you know how we love to say sometimes that we go to temple to pray or we go to church to pray or we pray at night or we pray in the, in the morning or we pray on our yoga mats. Prayer, we are living embodiments of prayer. God is making love to us 23,000 times a day on average. Everything we do is a form of prayer. You know, and we have that new age word now we call manifestation. Well, manifestation is prayer. That's all manifestation is. And it's very convenient for us to look at the areas and the times in our life in which we pray. 15 minutes in the morning, go to temple, go to church. These are times in which I'm praying. But everything else is also prayer. All the times in our life when we live from, from a place of greed or jealousy or separateness or otherness, or when we show up in the world in, in a way that is misaligned and not from a place of love, that is also prayer. So what are we praying for? And we have to bring more intention to the way we, we live our lives. How I teach asana AJ, is um, I know in the world of yoga now, Atana and Vinyasa yoga especially, has become very fast. It looks like exercise. I don't think Asana should be exercise. It should be a very intimate, intimate movement. One, uh, one teacher said to me once, move with so much grace that you don't disturb the air around you. And that's how I like to practice Asana. Now, what I would also say here is that, you know, in the traditions of yoga, we have the eight limbs of yoga. And at least in the West, 
that is often portrayed as eight separate limbs yamas niyamas asana pranayama and so on and so on i don't view it that way i think those eight limbs are part of one collective and that if you are practicing asana you should also be practicing pranayama asana should be pranayama there's a great teacher called krishnamacharya said atta yoga is pranayama it should be breath extension it should be it should be meditation. It should be all of it. It should You should have moments in which in your asana practice, you feel in complete union with God. I believe those eight limbs are one collective body. And um, one of the greatest things for me in this, to sum it all up, AJ, is that, you know, the very t second teaching of the Yoga Sutras, Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodaha, quieting of the mind, yoga is the quieting of the fluctuations of the mind. When in mind, the fluctuations of the mind are quiet, it's then that we begin to listen and see, listen and hear the voice of God. It is then that we begin to see God in each and every moment. Because as long as the mind is fluctuating, the mind is what tells us that me and you are separate. Right, right. Yeah. Talking about yoga, yoga uh, Troy, is that uh, how did this yoga thing happen in your life? Did yoga find you or you found yoga? Um, yoga, in, yoga found me, AJ, in a very big way. Um, I only started practicing asana at maybe about 24, 25 years old. But now understanding the teachings of yoga beyond asana, I realized that I've been practicing yoga since I was very young, right? But, um, you know, I've been teaching now for over 15 years, and every time I travel and somebody asks me, when did you first encounter yoga, as in the form of yoga? And I always, this is a really interesting story. I always talk about a teacher in my high school. His name was Mr. Gayadeen, Sylvan Gayadeen. And I used to go up every lunchtime. I used to go up and sit with him and would give me these books to read. All Eastern culture, Eastern tradition. And the very first thing he gave me to read was a text on the practice of Brahmacharya at 14 years old. And I always said that one day I wished I could see him and meet him again because I, I haven't seen him since I was 14. And that I could tell him how he might have possibly altered the course of my life and influenced the course of my life at 14 years old. So about three years ago, AJ, I get this through my website. I get this comment on my website and it says, I think I gave you practice of Brahmacharya to read in 1994 in Fatima College, S. And I'm like, how is this even possible? So I replied to him and I get his phone number and I called him. I was Mr. Gayadeen. He says, call me Sylvan. And we start talking. And he says, let me clarify something for you. You came to detention. You were sent to detention. So I came to detention and he gave me this text to read as a joke. He says to me, I don't even do yoga. I don't even come from a Hindu background. 
Like, I don't even know what this text was. I just knew that most adults couldn't even read this text. And I gave it to you as a joke. And you sat down and at 14 years old, you devoured this text. And he said, every lunchtime from then on, I came up of my own accord to lunchtime detention on my own to read more and read more and read more. And what's really amazing, AJ, is that he says, he says, Troy, I have been talking about you for the last 25 years. And I said, well, Mr. Guiding, I've been talking about you for the last 15, 20 years as the person who first influenced, brought yoga to my life. And he said how he found me is he was teaching in Canada, teaching now in Toronto. And he was telling this story about this 14-year-old kid called Troy Hadid who impressed him with, with how he showed up every day to read these books. And then his class Googled my name. And that was, he, he never knew what had come of my life. He didn't know I had been teaching yoga for 15, 15 plus years. And he says, he says, look at that. Look at this synchronicity without even a word that he was talking about me and I was talking about him. And we had no idea how we had impacted one another's life. So that, AJ, is how yoga found me. And how do you uh, teach yoga or how do you explain yoga for, to people who come to you to learn yoga or to talk whenever they talk to you what yeah. yoga is all about? Yeah, well, you know, especially in the West, AJ, you know, yoga has, people have so many different perspectives on what yoga is. And I always say that there's no, I don't think there's any wrong reason for someone to come into a practice room or come into a yoga studio or to come and try to find yoga. Even if somebody wants to come to our studio to look for a date, okay. If they want to come to thinking they're going to lose weight, okay. Whatever gets them into that room. And once they step into that room, I think my role as a facilitator as, a, as a, someone who creates a space in which yoga can come through is simply to connect people to their breath and start to ask questions that take them inside of themselves. Make them contemplate, who is God? What does God want of me? And let them actually start to look at their lives and how they're living their lives and see where where might be disconnected or misaligned. So for me, what I will tell someone who comes to me asking about yoga is I will generally tell them what I think they need to hear to get them into your room, to get them to commit to a practice. Because I know that once they step into that room and they right. commit to a practice, they're going to realize that yoga is so much more. So much more. So, so if I know someone doesn't believe in God or doesn't really want to practice yoga as a spiritual practice, I'll, invite, I'll tell them what I need to tell them to get into the room. But um, then they're going to realize they may not even be able to label it, but 
yoga is a practice of yoga is a spiritual practice a human experience is a spiritual practice you cannot separate spirit from a human experience right you cannot uh, separate it from the human experience uh, yeah. now to understand the concept of you know yoga where does yoga align with you with is it with the universe is it with yourself or is it uh, is it an attempt uh, through this means to align you or realign you with god it is so to me through through the the framework of yoga there's no separation between me and the universe the universe is within each one of us much like there's no separation between me and you aj there's not even a separation between me and this bedhead all of that is just an illusion of the human experience i think the practice of yoga is to help us recognize and realize that we are we are yoga we are union that there is no otherness or separation and i think when we realize that and recognize that then we can begin to live in such a way and that is to me where we begin to embody compassion and love beyond levels that are even conceivable to us because there is no me there is no troy and no aj and um i know that's really hard to wrap our head around but if you really you know we've been talking a lot even before our our chat aj about introspection and about looking inside and um if you really quiet your voices of your mind and you just sit and you look at a world and you experience a world that is not in question it is not in question there's so much that we do not know and do not understand but there's one thing for me that i know to be true and that is that the universe god whatever you want to call it it is everywhere and it lives in all of us and you know i talk about love and compassion and i also want to make clear that as as you as the hindu heritage and the teachings of yoga and tradition of yoga rightfully show in your culture you have goddesses like kali kali is not flowers and rainbows and love is not always flowers and rainbows sometimes love is fierce sometimes love is courageous and um you know it's important when we talk about love and compassion and all these kind of thing all these things is that we recognize that and i think that's an amazing teacher out of the bhagavad gita as well you know arjuna that was his dharma that was his love is to fight for what he believed in but but in fighting and in recognizing that everyone is part of the whole that you cannot actually harm someone else without harming yourself that we are all in this evolution together then you realize that sometimes even love can be harsh and hateful sometimes right right yeah. right so in today's time uh, when 
everybody wants to uh, is in search of god in one way or the other knowingly unknowingly yeah but they or or even out of curiosity they want to meet god uh, mm-hmm. to have god in front of them but how do you find god now because god will only come maybe the way god decides or is yeah. it that you will find god in love and compassion in 2023 well here's what um i would say to that aj and this is such a powerful question and i'm going to give you what i believe is a really powerful answer and that is that god lives in the eyes of every human being and god lives in every animal and everything everything around us so imagine if we lived our lives as if we were in relationship with god no matter what someone says or does to remember that god is there this is the eyes of god they may have come to teach me something they may have come to show me what pain and suffering looks like but that is still god it doesn't mean i can't walk away from them it doesn't mean i can't push back but there's a really um beautiful tattoo i have on my hand i don't know how i can have you see it it's yes there. i can see it i can yeah. see it. it it says ignore the story see the soul and it's from one of my teachers her name is Sean Corn she's a western teacher out of new york and it's so powerful because of course someone our listeners could be henry saying this and they could be like what do you mean see god how can you see god is in an oppressor oppressor or someone who's corrupt or someone who's causing me pain how can i see god in them it's important for us to remember aj that every single human being is a product of their experiences and their conditioning the biggest privilege you know when we talk about privilege we talk about skin color and gender and all this financial wealth and stuff the biggest privilege in our world is knowing what love is and not everyone knows that not everyone has felt loved not everyone has had someone to show them right and wrong for some people love has come in the way of an abuser all they know is abuse all they know is oppression all they know is violence that's all they've ever been shown and if when we see each other we can see someone's conditioning we can see someone's experiences and see beyond that to recognize that that conditioning and those experiences is not actually who they are that beneath that story beneath that conditioning is a child of god is god and there's another tattoo i have here that i love to talk about it says that it's a reminder it says i have not i have not come to teach i have come to love and love will teach and i think that if we can to answer to sum up this question if we can remind ourselves that god lives in every single human being and everyone around us 
and we could begin to see and acknowledge everyone's conditioning and their experiences of the God that lives within them. And we, be, we can begin to change that conditioning. And as we begin to change that conditioning, we change our world, AJ. And it might take time. But, but to answer your question, how does someone find God? Well, first, they have to recognize that God lives within them. And they have to work on quieting the voices of the mind, whether that be through meditation or yoga or tai chi or whatever does that for them. They need to be able to see and quiet the voices of the mind so they can hear and realize the God that lives within them. And once that happens, even a little bit, they will begin to recognize a God that lives within everyone. And that is how we meet God. God is standing right here. He's standing right here. He's just waiting to be seen. He's waiting to be heard. If God is just is within all of us, Troy, then why have humans become so distant to one another? We are, we are not valuing each other. We are not valuing our destinies. We are yeah. together. And we are whiling away our time, you know, passing through one another, putting your heads into our phones yeah. and just forgetting that we just crossed a God, somebody, you know, part of God yeah. that was just next to us. Why um, is it like that? I, I have to choose to believe, AJ. You know, in mind is a powerful thing. In mind isn't bad. Ego isn't bad, right? A human experience has its purpose. And I believe that this is all part of our curriculum. That we have to experience this collectively in order to remember what God looks like, who we really are, and what it means to love. I know um, in a lot of ways, and I know maybe in the Indian culture and heritage as well, I know you guys believe a lot in reincarnation and karma and past lives, which I do as well. But what, what I don't really connect to is the idea of punishment. I, do, I don't think there's a divine agency that punishes us if we don't do as he or she says. That's not love, right? That's not love. But I do believe in the essence of karma and the power. We are creating a world we live in through our actions, through the yoga of action, through every choice, every action, every word we speak is prayer. We are creating it, right? So if you look at the world, for anyone that has a problem with the world we live in like this, which I do as well, we want to fix this world. We have to take responsibility to shift our actions, to bring intention to our actions and the way we live our lives. You know, one of, same teacher I mentioned, Sean Korn, she once said to me once, she said, you are the, at least this is how it landed for me. She said, you 
at what is wrong with her world. You are the reason there's so much misalignment in our world. And at first, of course, I love her. She's my teacher. She's like my sister. I was like, how could you say that? Because I'm internalizing it. And I've been doing all this work and devoting my life to God for so long, to this path of yoga, trying to live right. How could you tell me I'm wrong with everything in our world? I'm what's wrong. I'm the cause of it. And here's why. Because, AJ, I was conveniently looking at all the areas in my life in which I showed up from a place of love, in which I saw God. What I was not looking at is all the areas in my life in which I was showing up from a place of separateness, otherness, greed, jealousy. Because all of those their prayers as well. They are creating a world we live in. If I walk past a homeless person on the street who needs food and I don't buy them food, I contribute to starvation. I contribute to hungry people. Remember, our consciousness is collective. So the change we want to see in the world, we have to take up the responsibility for creating a world we want to live in. And um, I'm not saying that I do all of the time. I'm human. I am flawed. There are so many aspects of the world and my life in which I show up from, in a, from a place of misalignment and otherness. I am still working through my curriculum. I am no guru. Right? Everyone is their own guru. They are their own teacher. But we have to acknowledge that this is our responsibility. So we have to look at the world and acknowledge that, you know, Jane, Jane Goodall is an environmentalist and she asks an she's she poses an amazing perspective. She says, stop asking, can I change the world? And start looking at how am I changing the world? Because we are so powerful that everything we do in every moment, everything we see, think, and do changes the world we live in. So for anyone that, that has looks at our world and gets burdened and heavy, this is what I would like to offer. Let's change it. How dare we not at least try? This is a responsibility we must accept if we want to change our world and if we want to realize God. Right, right. Well, well put, Troy, uh, quite well, uh, the way people would understand and very simple way we have put your thoughts. And I'm yeah. sure people will understand, uh, always understand God in their own manners, but mostly if they seek within, they will find God for themselves. Absolutely. That's the only way we can find God in the... But tell me one thing, uh, Troy. Why did you name your book called Popcorn in My Pocket? Okay. okay. <laughs> I didn't understand that. I thought okay. it would be about God or yoga. Okay. Popcorn is very good. Yeah. It reminds me of my old days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Popcorn in My Pocket. So I will say, E.G., that this book has not found a publisher yet. So it is coming to market. There are interested parties. But so the name of this book might actually change. There's been a little bit of conversation around it. 
But to answer your question, when I was 20 years old, I put my hand in my pocket and I discovered old popcorn from the movies. And I ate it. And in eating it, I said, I said out loud to my girlfriend at the time, I said, popcorn in my pocket is going to be named my first book. I was in my early 20s. And I never knew what it meant. Like, what does that mean? How will I write a book called that? And I wasn't attached to that name either or that title. But I'll tell you how it arrived and what that actually means, right? The analogy I use. I feel like the world now is filled with popcorn. Popcorn is all these spiritual insights and all these teachings and all these ideologies and epiphanies that we search for our whole life. So in our world today, there's everyone throwing popcorn around. There's all this popcorn everywhere. And a pocket is a spiritual pocket. Every individual, I believe, has their own spiritual pocket. But what is happening in the world, from what I see, is we're taking everyone else's popcorn and we're just throwing it around. We're talking about it and we're reposting it on social media and we're talking to our friends about it. But we don't really understand these teachings because the only way you can really understand a teaching is through experience. So we must take this popcorn and put it in our pockets. And through that, we discover our own popcorn, our own realizations. And that is where knowledge and understanding comes from. Otherwise, our spiritual practice and all of these teachings, they're all a lot of talk. And they sound really pretty, but then there's no embodiment of them. You know, like, you know, you have an Indian teacher, his name is Sadhguru. He says things like, you are not your mind, you are not your body. Cool. You have a lot of people walking around now saying, I am not my mind, I am not my body, which is great. But do they understand what that means? Do they understand how that shows up in their life? We need to take these teachings, take this popcorn, and really start to ask, how does this apply to my life? And really start to take it inside to really understand these teachings. So that is the analogy, analogy of my book, um, AJ. I don't want people to take my popcorn and toss it around. Through this book, I also share not only teachings, but experiences and stories from my life. So I show them how these things show up in our lives, how these teachings or ideologies might show up in our life. And I hope to inspire the reader to discover their own popcorn in their pockets. Right, right. When do you yeah. expect uh, this book to come out in the market? Um, I would hope it would be out sometime next year. But, you know, I'm now, I'm, the literary world is new to me and I'm now understanding how it works. I understand it might take some time or maybe I might choose to self-publish. Um, but I would really love a literary agent or a publishing deal. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the world needs this book more than ever. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, but, oh, right, carry on. Go ahead. You were saying something. I, I'm pretty sure I was going to answer your next question, which, yes. which is that if, um, 
if people want to stay in tune with when the book comes out or they want to work with me in any way, they can follow me on Instagram, Troy Hadid, or they could go to troyhadid.com, sign up for my newsletter because I will be keeping everyone updated. And, and I also work with people one-on-one -on -one all over the world if anyone would want to do that. And I would also invite your listeners, AJ, that I am an open book. And if anybody has questions, I will be more than willing to see if I can help on their journey in any way whatsoever. Absolutely, Troy. You have answered my, uh, you know, the, the next question that I was about to ask, but you comprehended it and answered it. So I'm sure a lot of people would want to connect with you, will yeah. connect with you. So I, it, this brings to my last question, uh, Troy, for this evening is that yeah. uh, you have traversed a good part of your life. What is it that you seek now for yourself? Well, what I seek for myself, um, it's more like what I seek for humanity as well. Whatever I do, um, AJ, you know, I am 42. I'm single. I have no kids. And this is about a time in a life where somebody is looking for family and kids. And I would love that. And I, there are a lot of things I would love in my, for my, for the shape of my life. I would love to speak people and travel the world and, and start to impact people on a much larger level. I would love to help people rediscover and redefine God. I would love to introduce people to the depth of the practice of yoga. But above all, EJ, no matter what I do in my life, I want to know that I am helping people reconnect to God in some way and helping people understand what it means to love. And in that process, I remember what it means to love. And I deepen my own relationship to God. So what, in a nutshell, you know, that one of my teachers once said to me, a yogi is someone who leaves a space cleaner than they left it, cleaner than they found it. Someone who leaves a space cleaner than they found it. And I don't believe this is just a physical analogy, a metaphor. I think it also means energetic. So for me, I just hope every day when I wake up and I live my life that I've contributed to the world in that way. And that anyone that crosses my path and who meets my eyes on any given day, that I could make their life and that day just a little bit better even if it is just with a smile. On this note, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much indeed, Troy, for thank, joining us. Thank you, KJ. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And I love you and love to all of your listeners as well. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.